Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, April 30th, twenty. 19. Trying to add some substance here to the program because what we're going to be hearing today will have no substance, at least from the people we're reviewing. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is like no shortage at all of really crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <sighs> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and it's getting worse by the day is the best way I can put it. And uh, we'll talk about what we'll, we'll be covering on today's episode quite shortly. But I uh, want to remind you all that uh, in August, August of this year, in the United Kingdom, in Swansea, in Wales, uh, the uh, the second weekend of August, the, the dates again are August 9th and 10th, we will be holding our Pirate Christian Radio Conference this year in Swansea, and it is free to attend. You will need to care for yourself as far as you know where you're going to sleep and things like that. But uh, in, in attendance will be myself, Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley, uh, Carrie Ferguson, and uh, at least one or two other speakers who will be announced shortly. Now, we do not have a registration page up yet. We should have that up within the next week or so. And uh, so I'm having you guys set that time aside right now. If you're able to make it to the United Kingdom, if you listen to Fighting for the Faith and you list, and you live in Western Europe, this is your opportunity to come and really kind of hang out with us. It's a, 
it's a hangout. <laughs> we, we, there'll be good teaching. There'll be uh, opportunities for fellowship, time together, and uh, and and I enjoy having meals with uh, listeners and uh, and and things like that. And of course, you know, with Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley being there, uh, he will lend credibility to the entire event, <laughs> which otherwise probably would have none. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Don't just whatever you do. Don't tell him I said that. So uh, you know, set aside the dates. It's August ninth and tenth. We will be at Siloam Church in Swansea, in Wales, in the United Kingdom, uh, for the Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Then hope to see you if you're able to make it. Now, all of that being said, let's take a look at what we're going to cover on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We got two segments that we're going to be taking a look at today, and uh, you know, I've already tipped my hat as to the uh, the uh, presenting issue here, and that is a supreme lack of substance. We're going to start with a Perry Stone update, and Perry Stone is going to supposedly be preaching from the book of Job. From the book of Job. Yeah, it's... You know, Job is an interesting text. It's not that easy to properly exegete, but if you apply yourself to it, you know, it's it's not rocket surgery, so you can pull it off. But Perry Stone has opted to instead basically say a whole lot of nothing, but say it with a lot of passion and zeal. And, and so there's a phrase that uh, I will be using in this segment, just so you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a pseudo-profound bovine scatology. We'll talk about that uh, when it comes up. After uh, we listen to Perry Stone, we'll be uh, taking a quick break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to round out the hour with uh, Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen talking to us about dry places, dry dry places. And, uh, in fact, it, this, this segment on dry places is so dry as far as, um, you know, a desert a waterless desert as far as the Word of God is concerned, I think you'll get the point. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And since we're doing a Perry Stone update, let's do this. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. My shoulders is sour or loose. And I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour news. And I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. All right, we're heading over to Cathedral Church, where Perry Stone recently was the featured guest pastor speaker for their sermon on that day. And again, we're in the book of Job. Uh, if you want to open up, I think, what is it, 28 or 29? We'll figure that out along the way. Let's get to it. Here is Perry Stone. Job chapter 29 and verse 10. I have never preached this message before. It's Job 29, verse 10. All right, let's see here. Job, Job, Job 29 and verse 10. Maybe I misheard him, you know. 
The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. Okay, let me, let me back this up and then just try this again. Job chapter 29 and verse 10. I have never preached this message before. It's new to me. And so bear with me because there's several different rabbit trails I could take. And I want to focus on the thought at hand. And I'm going to ask you a question. Have you had a restlessness that has come into your spirit that at times you cannot get over for weeks or months? Mm, I'm feeling and detecting that there are people who've had a restlessness that's come into their spirit and it's lasted a while. If this is you, well, that's vague. That's, huh. And you can't explain it and you can't pray it away and you can't go to your brothers and sisters and intercede and it break. Has anybody been there? Raise your hands right now and wave up this way, Brother Stone. A restlessness, a very strange restlessness. Well, yeah, fun, fun, you know, I'm feeling it right now. Can't you feel that? Woo! Yeah, there's a restlessness here. I'm restless because I don't feel like we're going to hear God's word taught properly at all. I'm going to tell you what's happening. Are you ready for this? I'm going to read the text, but I'm going to tell you what is happening. Job 29 and 10. Job said then. Okay, Job 29 and 10. Just come back to him. He's going to read it out. Okay. I said, I shall die in my nest. And I shall. Job 29. Verse 10. See, that's Job 29 right there. And that's verse 10. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. Maybe he's reading second Job. I Okay, coming back shall multiply my days as sand. For the next few moments, I'm going to tell you what your situation is. God is stirring up your nest. What? <laughs> He's doing what? God is stirring up my nest. I feel like you're stirring up my irritation. Here at this point, Perry, what are you talking? I don't have a nest. <laughs> All right. Like I said, there's a nothing burger here. And you can't figure out why God is stirring up your nest. Now. <laughs> this is absurd. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You can't figure out why God's stirring up your nest, man. He ain't stirring up my nest, Perry. I don't got no nest, and the God's not stirring it, and this has nothing to do with Job, because what you just said doesn't make no sense. Now, we must look at the verse to understand why Job, who is in a precarious, terrible, horrible position, writes the word that he writes and says the phrase that he says. According to Job chapter 1, we do not know where Job actually lives. Some suggest... Yeah, so why did Job write something about a nest? I couldn't... I were Job 29, verse 10... 
I see nothing about a nest. So we got to hunt for, see if we can find this. All right, nest. We're going to look for nest. And uh, I'm looking in the Old Testament. Job 29, um, I thought I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. Job 29, 18. Okay, so let's let's just say that Perry, you know, he's getting old like I am. So, you know, we, we old guys, I mean, sometimes we misspeak. So he, he, he just misspoke. He wrote this down wrong. He meant Job 29, 18. Then I thought I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. See, there it is. It's 29, 18. And um, so he's supposedly going to tell us, so why did Job write this I shall die in my nest statement? All right, please enlighten us, Perry. I'm waiting for some good, sound biblical exegesis here, and I, I'm concerned that we're not going to get there with you, but uh, we'll keep trying here. The area of Saudi Arabia, some suggest the area of the Negev Desert, uh, that region, but we do know there had to be plenty of water and plenty of grass because of the number of animals that he had. It wasn't just a dry desert region because the Bible tells us in the beginning of the book of Job that he had 3,000 camels, 7,000 sheep, he had 1,000 yoke of oxen and houses and ten children that were older, and each had a home of their own. And the Bible calls him the greatest man in the East. Lightning fell and... This isn't helping me understand why he wrote about a nest and why I should think God's stirring mine up. Killed the sheep. A group of nomads invaded on horses and rode off pushing the animals with them and capturing his animals. We know that a whirlwind, a tornado or a hurricane of some kind fell on the homes and killed 10 children who were feasting in the home. This man lost everything he owned with the exception of three servants that survived and his wife who was critical of him. Obviously she married him for the money. No text says that. Wow. Um, whoa. So we're now out of nowhere without any textual warrant. We're judging Job's wife and basically saying she's a gold digger. Okay. I've never read any commentaries on Job that say that his wife was a gold digger, but Perry clearly put all the clues together and figured it out for us. Can I go there? No. Because when he lost everything he had, she told him to curse God and just die. Why do you? That doesn't prove she's a gold digger. Want your husband to die because he's lost all the money. You're not going to get to go shopping at Macy's like you did. Come on now. Come on, girls. Help me out. That's an anachronism right there. But I know the point he's trying to make. But I don't think you can just prove that because she said curse God and die. That that means ergo she was a gold digger. And so she figured if he'll die, she can go marry another one somewhere. So you got to get rid of him first. How do you know she figured that? The text doesn't say that. You're, you're slandering Job's wife. Wow. 
And he told her, you speak like a foolish woman. Now, here's what happens. The second attack comes to him, takes his health out, boils break out on his body to the point that his friends say in Job 2 that when they saw him coming, they did not know who he was. And for seven days, he sat in dust and just scratched the boils but would say nothing. And then as you progress from Job chapter 3 into Job... How does this understand? help me understand why God supposedly is stirring my nest? Hmm... Job here at 29, you will hear Job reminiscing about what used to be. Now stay with me because this is, this is the nest we're talking about. Job begins to say in the book of Job, in months past, when I walked in the dark. What is that cadence? In months past, uh, pasta is something that you put like, you know, sauce on. You know, that's what pasta is. What is, what is this cadence of his? The light of God shined upon me and my children. He then says later in the book of Job, when I washed my steps with, uh, with oil, the, um, when, I, when, I, when I washed my steps in, in, in butter, the rock poured me out rivers of oil. A metaphor. You taking notes on this? Woo! You know, when I stepped on the butter, the rivers of oil thingy. <laughs> what is he saying? You know, this is this is um I hate to say this. There's a there's a phrase and you're going to have to google it cuz I'm I ain't putting a link to it. But um so there's this thing called pseudo profound and I'm going to change the phrase. All right? There's an actual journal article written on this concept. Pseudo profound and we'll just call it bovine scatology kind of work out what the B and the S stands for. And I feel like at this point, what we're getting from Perry is um, pseudo-profound bovine scatology. And uh, this is all designed to make him look like, oh, he's so smart. He really knows his stuff. I mean, how do you know he knows his stuff? Well, because I don't understand what he's saying. You know, it, oh, it, oh he, he's so deep. He's unfathomable. Yeah. <clears throat> this is pseudo profound bovine scatology. And if you Google that and replace the bovine scatology with other words, um, you'll find a journal article on this concept. And I feel like that's what we're experiencing here. For the favor and anointing of God that was on his life in days gone by. He also says that when I was in my former days of prosperity, when I would sit at the gate, the princess of the nations would come and listen to me speak with my wisdom. And the young men would sit silent while I would talk to them about wisdom and direction. And I, we would say at this day, the business principles of how I have made it through faith in God. And then Job continues to talk about when I spoke, the people blessed me. I helped the poor. I helped the widow. I helped the fatherless. Though This still isn't helping me understand why God is apparently stirring up my nest. That's the mystery that we're trying to solve here. Why is God stirring up my nest? Hmm?
those that were ready to die, I stood there with them to be a part of them in their departure. I was, this is Job talking. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. To those who had nothing, I was for them. And those who tried to, to disrupt the poor and abuse them, I would reach in and break the jaws of the wicked. Break the jaws of the wicked. Yeah, this, this Preach like a Pentecostal preacher here. Yeah, okay, that's the that's what that cadence is. Now, here's a man that would have been a fine friend to have. Here is someone that, he, had he been a part of your life, that if you had a financial need, he would have helped you out. That if you had a family problem, he'd have sat down and counseled you. And here is a man now, after talking about, don't miss it, after talking about, don't miss it, miss what? After uh, uh, this is a man, don't miss it. Ooh, ooh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm re- what are we? What what, what? what? I want to miss. What? What, what is it? It's like kind of like foghorn leghorn. Pay attention to what I'm talking to, you, boy. T- pay attention. Yeah. About all the blessings that he had, he makes this statement, and I was ready to die in my nest. I was. We went all that way. To circle right back to verse 18, not tw- not 10, by the way. To circle all the way back to verse 18. And that same guy says, I was ready to die in my nest. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Pay attention to me while I'm talking to you, boy. Pay attention to me while I'm talking to you. Okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. What's the point exactly? Let me back this up. I don't understand a thing he's saying. All the blessings that he had, he makes this statement. And I was ready to die in my nest. I was ready. I was so content and I was, I'm going somewhere, whether you, I'm setting you up. (laughs) You ain't going nowhere. Your wheels are spinning in the mud, Perry. I'm, in fact, I don't even think you have wheels at this point. I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm getting ready to make a point here. Well, get on with it, would you? I was so happy and I was so rested and I was so blessed with prosperity that I said to myself, I'll stay in my comfort zone. I will just, you know, he didn't say that. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Yeah. Job wouldn't know the concept of a comfort zone. And there's no uh, scriptural, biblical, textual proof of him. Uh, feeling like he needs to say in his comfort zone. You know, that's that's a modern thing. Okay. Stay in my nest and I'll just have a happy old life and raise my kids and grandkids. Leave them an inheritance when I'm gone. But I'm going to stay in my nest. The... <laughs> he didn't say that. That's... <laughs> no. And so so God is stirring up my nest, which means God's making me move outside of my comfort zone that that's where this is going really R- really rest of my life now he does not stay in his nest but his nest is shaken up he is cast out of the nest touch your neighbor and say this neighbor oh you didn't hear me now i jumped on you too fast say this neighbor god is going to stir up your nest. Ah. <laughs> I guess you have to say it that way. God is going to stir up your nest. 
This is a nothing burger. Where's the beef? Dude, there's nothing in this. This is pro- <laughs> uh, <laughs> pseudo-profound bovine scatology is what we're dealing with here. And <laughs> this guy is a world-famous preacher, man. He's on television and stuff and broadcast from Israel and thingies. And he's saying nothing. But he's smart, man. I, I know he's smart. Because the reason why is because, man, when he talks, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> So God's going to stir up my nest, which means he's going to kick me out of my comfort zone. That's not what Job 29 is about at all. Oh, this is painful. I, just, I mean, let's take a look at Job 29. Just hmm. So Job again took up his discourse, and he said, let's see if we can make some sense of this text. Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. See, he's, he's in his suffering right now. When his lamp shone upon my head and, his li- and by his light I walked through the darkness. As I was in my prime when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter and, with, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me. So he's, he's reminiscing about, you know, what his life was like before all of these calamities came upon him. And he doesn't know that the reason why he's being su- made to suffer is because the devil has asked to sift him. He doesn't know that. He doesn't understand what's going on here, that the devil's basically saying, the reason why Job loves you, God, is because you've blessed him so much. Curse him, and, and uh, he'll curse you. That's, that's the, uh, the, the, the thought of what's going on here. So it says, uh, so the young men saw me and, and withdrew, and the aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on my mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed, and the tongue, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me and blessed, and when the eye saw, it approved. But because I delivered to the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. This is a beautiful picture, by the way, of Christian sanctification, of of the life of one who is a penitent sinner, who is bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their life. I mean, this sounds like an exemplary example of a man who was rich in good works, in love toward his neighbor, as well as fervent faith in God. And this, this is showing, through this, this description here is amazing. I was father to the needy. I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. And then I thought I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my na- days as the sand. My roots spread out to the waters, and with the dew all night on my branches, my glory fresh with me, and my bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me, and I waited and kept silence for my counsel. This isn't about a comfort zone, by the way. After I spoke, they did not speak again, and my word dropped upon them. They waited for me as for the rain. They opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence in the light of my face, they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among the, his troops, like one who comforts mourners. 
So not only was he blessed by God as far as wealth that he had, but he was truly blessed in the good works that he had towards his neighbor. But calamity has struck him. Chapter 30 then says, But now they laugh at me, men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. Yeah, yeah the, the unrighteous now mock him. What could I gain from their, from the strength of their hands, men whose vigor is gone? Through want and hard hunger, they gnaw the dry ground by night in waste and desolation. They pick uh, saltwort and leaves of bushes and the roots of the broom tree for their food. They are driven out from human company. They shout after them as after a thief. In the gullies of the torrents they must dwell in holes of the earth and of the rocks. Among the bushes they bray under the nettles they huddle together, a senseless, nameless brood. They have been whipped out of the land, and now I have become their song. I am a byword to them. They, they abhor me. They keep aloof from me. They do not hesitate to spit at the sight of me because God has loosed my cord and humbled me. They have cast off restraint in my presence. Now, a little bit of a note here. Scripture is very clear. Jesus is very clear that the scriptures testify about him. And so in the types and shadows, which the Old Testament is, in fact, the New Testament makes it very clear that the Old Testament is type and shadow, and it testifies of Christ. So in some way, then, in the sufferings of, of Job, we can see a, a shadow of the sufferings of Christ. The way he described himself as like a king and those who came to him had wisdom, uh, and, saw, and he sought out to help those who were poor and needy. This, this, this sounds a lot like Jesus. In fact, when you read the gospel accounts, it is stunning you know, how merciful and kind and full of wisdom Jesus was and how he would take up the cause of those who had no one to protect them, no one to, to care for them. Jesus would meet their needs and seek them out in order to help them in their misery. And so... What we see here then in Job's sanctification described in chapter 29 is a picture of what the Christian looks like. Why? Because the Christian is to look like Christ in his good works. And so because of that, now we can kind of see the connection then and see how Christ himself really is the prime example of what Job is describing he was experiencing in his life while he was blessed. But note the big turn now. Job now is mocked and people are making songs about him and he's the byword of the fool of 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 the the person who is a mocker and a scorner and an unbeliever in this kind of a similar way jesus had experienced that big turn too in fact one of the things that perry stone said that people that knew him when they saw him in his misery they didn't recognize him that's exactly how Isaiah describes Jesus in his sufferings when he says that, you know, no one looked on his form, that, that he was marred beyond all recognition. And he was prophesying of the beating that Jesus received at the hands of the Romans. And so in some way, there's a way to connect this back to Christ and to meditate on Christ's goodness, his mercy, his kindness, and the great suffering that he was made to go through. But Job's suffering wasn't vicarious. It wasn't for your sins and for mine, but Christ's was. And so the idea here is is that we Christians also are called to suffer and to experience persecution. And so the account of Job really should give us comfort. It 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 is a book worth studying. 
studying in our mourning, studying in our suffering, studying in our persecution. And so you'll note that the big turn that Job experienced, Christ experienced that, but he, Jesus, experienced that for us so that we can be forgiven. So anyway, you'll note that you know you can take these texts and when you properly understand how they all connect back to Christ, you can connect them back to Christ and preach him and challenge people to repent of their selfishness, their self-righteousness, their their sinfulness, and to trust in the merciful one who suffered and bled and died for them. And you can do that even from the book of Job. But Perry Stone, well, I don't know what he's preaching and teaching, but I can tell you this, don't make no sense. And it really is an abysmal mishandling of this text. He's trying to make himself look all smart and stuff because you don't understand. This isn't about your comfort zone. The best way I can put it. And don't worry, God isn't stirring your nest. That's not the point of this text either. So, All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll be hearing from Joel Osteen about dry places. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. again, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's edition of What the Buzz, where we show you the latest, the greatest, the most fantastic and controversial inventions in the Christian world of tomorrow, today. In studio with me right now is the infamous Dr. Ergen Kanner with his latest product called Ergen Kanner's Testimony Enhancement Spray. Dr. Kanner, please tell us how you invented this marvelous product. It all started when I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. My conversion to Christianity was a relatively mundane one. Being a run-of-the-mill Christian is not what we call exciting. I bet. 
when I would try to tell my pagan friends why they too should be Christians, all they did was laugh at me and tell me how pathetic my Christian testimony was. I knew then that if my story of how I chose Jesus was more compelling, then I would be able to reach more people. It wasn't until years later that I created the spray that you see before you now. Well, what does it do? It does exactly what I says it does. For example, after using this spray, I was able to completely change my Christian testimony. I went from being a boring, middle-aged man to an individual who grew up under the oppression of Islam. I was part of the Islamic Youth Jihad, and I had been personally trained by terrorists of Al-Qaeda. When I moved to America in my 15th year, I was plagued by ridicule and bullying in my high school. People would call me Sand Monkey and push me around like a ragdoll. I wished to crush the infidels where they stood. Luckily for me, I found Jesus and accepted him into my heart before I committed acts of terrorism. Instead of a bomb on my back, I now had the cross of Jesus. That's an amazing story! Has your spray worked with other people? Yes, yes it has. Take a listen to some unenhanced testimonies from these non-actors about my product. Before I used Ergen Canner's testimony enhancement spray, I was a boring accountant working for a small firm in the farthest reaches of upstate New York. Me, being a Christian, was about as compelling as watching paint dry. Then I became a pirate from the 17th century who personally helped sack the Spanish main. I pillaged and plundered the heart and soul out of the Caribbean for many a year. Then one day, I miraculously accepted Jesus into my heart and I was saved. I put up me cutlass forever and sailed to America with the hope of telling more people that Jesus died so that they might live in luxury. I was a simple stay-at-home dad who didn't have any real ambitions in life other than taking care of my children. I'd always go to my local mega church and experience the presence of God. My friends who did fantasy football with me never really found my Christian walk to be that compelling. So now, I'm an ex-assassin who carries out hundreds of missions for the government around the world. There isn't anybody on Earth that I couldn't kill with a pair of chopsticks and a stick of bubblegum. During one of my last missions, I came across the family who had told me the good news, that I had the power to forgive myself of all the debts I had wrought. In that moment, I felt a change come over me as I led Jesus into my heart, and I gave up my life of murder forever. I used to be normal and happy. Then one day my church counselor, Mr. Gary Sunshine, told me to go on an Emmaus walk to find Jesus. I guess I didn't trust in God hard enough because I was lost in the wilderness for over three months. Jesus never showed up and Mr. Snuggles didn't make it. I had almost died from starvation, then a helicopter came, and... What are you doing here? That's not a testimony. You do not even use spray. Get out! Um, you promised me five dollars for the testimony. I'm not paying you for that garbage. Get out!
Be sure to pick up your very own bottle of Ergen Tanner's Testimony Enhancement Spray from Los Lobos Ministry Products. Order now! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and... It's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at Gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! All right, we're back. Uh, Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there are a lot of pastors out there who are saying a whole lot of nothing in their preaching and teaching, and they're not actually teaching God's Word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. 
Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, uh, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month and Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you would like to do this via Patreon, you can just click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, time for a Joel Osteen update. Let's do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in a rainless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Shiny teeth and me. All right, talking about uh, preaching and teaching that doesn't have any substance, we're heading over to Lakewood as we listen to Joel Osteen teach us about um, dry places. You know, in in fact, <clears throat> he practices what he preaches here because, as far as like biblical moisture, <laughs> yeah, this uh, sermon is. Quite the dry place. Here's Joel Osteen. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about the danger of dry places. It's easy to lose our passion for <laughs> So absurd. You mean like the desert? Oh yeah, those de- those deserts are very dangerous places. You need to bring some water with you. you know, you know, so whether it's the Sahara Desert, it's the, the Mojave Desert, oh, it doesn't matter. Or even the Sonoran Desert. You, you know, those are some very dry places and you, know, you need You'd bring some water. Here in uh, North Dakota, where I live, uh, you know, a couple of months out of the year, it's really super cold, like, you know, way below zero. And because of that, it's really dry outside because all the moisture has been frozen and it's really dry in my house. So, I mean, my house turns into, get this, a dry place. Yeah, really dry place. So we solved the problem to avoid the dangers of having my home be a dry place by... <clears throat> strategically placing in several places within my home humidifiers. You see, once you've turned the humidifier on, then your house is no longer a dangerous dry place. Uh, I don't think that's what he means, though. At one time, we were excited. We looked forward to each day. We were believing for our dreams. We loved to laugh. Yeah, one time I, I was believing for my dreams, man. Now I'm just dried up. I'm not believing for my dreams no more, man. <laughs> Again, I just asked the question, what does he think Jesus saved us from exactly? 
But over time, if we're not careful and things haven't turned out the way we thought, we'll become dry. When you're dry, life has lost its flavor. You smile, but there's no real joy behind it. I don't know. Beef jerky is pretty dry, and that's some flavorful stuff. I'm just saying, you know. You laugh with your friends, but it's not genuine. You act normal in front of people, but alone you're discouraged. You wonder what's wrong. Oh, by myself. <laughs> this isn't Christianity. I don't know what this is, but okay. Sometimes we're dry because we're tired. The battles have taken longer than we thought. We can be dry. Just rehydrate during the battle and you'll be fine. Because we've been hurt. Somebody did us wrong. Instead of letting it go, we've held on to it. Let it go. Let it go. Some people are dry because they have the wrong perspective. They think their challenges are too big that they'll never work out. But there's a problem with being dry. It doesn't just steal our joy. It doesn't just affect our attitude. It's deeper than that. The scripture says, when an unclean spirit leaves a person, it walks through dry places seeking rest. When we're dry, we've stepped into the enemy's territory. This is absurd. (laughs) Oh, I got to pull myself together. That is one of the most absurd things. I have ever heard. (sighs) It almost doesn't deserve a like biblical correction here. Okay. Uh, Luke 11, 11, 24. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person. We're talking about exorcism here. (laughs) It passes through waterless places Seeking rest and finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. I'm not sure where these dry, waterless places are, but this is where demons go when they're exercised from the devil. But you are, Joel Osteen, are talking metaphorically about dry places. And and now you're taking your metaphorical, allegorical dryness and, you know, and somehow comparing that to the literal waterless places that demons go when they're cast out of a person. You, you can't mix the two together like that. That's not how the, the Bible works. Oh, man, this is bizarre. Pulling myself together, we continue. That's where he lives. Sometimes he doesn't have to come to us. We go to him. (laughs) You do know that sound biblical exegesis is not rocket surgery, right? You know, it just basic reading comprehension gets you really far in rightly handling a biblical text. So here's what Joel Osteen did. You know, he, he, uh, he got on, you know, he he wants to talk about dry places. All right. So, you know, so he, 
goes to Bible Gateway. And so he's already got this all sorted out. You know, I've, I've, we, uh, we got to talk about the dangers of dry places. And so then he goes D-R-Y and he does a, a search there and he finds all of the different verses that talk about dryness in one way or another. And then he finds the one that he wants and rips it out of its context. No, no, no effort on his part to actually meaningfully tell us anything about what Luke 11 is saying. Um, no, it's not that at all. Um, so as a result of that, we're not learning actually what the Bible says. And, you know, he just found a passage that in one translation uses the word dry rather than waterless and see, voila, he now looks like he's teaching the Bible, but he's not teaching the Bible. I don't know what this is. You feel the blahs, no passion, thoughts tell you nothing good is in your future. You'll never meet the right person. Uh, This is Stuart Smalley. You know, Stuart Smalley, you know, going on a negativity binge. Uh, Poor fellow, he's just raided his refrigerator and consumed 6,000 calories of pizza and yogurt. Anyway, this is not (laughs) what uh, Luke 11 is talking about. Get out of debt. Recognize that's the enemy trying to get you into his territory. No, no. No, 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 no. Now, yeah. So I asked a question earlier. What what does Joel Osteen think that, you know, Christ has actually saved us from? And and so, you know, I think of passages like this, um, you know, from Colossians chapter one, talking about Christ. He has delivered us from the domain or the dominion of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. And listen to this the forgiveness of our sins. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so talking about what Christ has done for us, another text, if you kind of want a summary text of like Christianity and, you know, the the basic narrative is that um, Ephesians 2, good place to go. And you, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice, dead in trespasses and sins following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. And listen, in the passions of our flesh, okay? So following the passions of our sinful nature, and we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so, I mean, this gives you a pretty good picture of what it is that, you know, we're being saved out of. Okay, and it's not stinking thinking, you know, it's not even purposelessness. It's something way deeper than that, because if our sin causes us to be, well, children of wrath by nature, that's a bad thing, because ultimately, when you tease out that theme of God's wrath in the scripture, you realize God's wrath results in people spending an eternity in hell. So, yeah, what Jesus has saved us from is not a bad hair day, not stinking thinking, not the blahs, you know, or anything like that. But by the way, the text goes on. But but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you've been saved. And he has raised us up with him, seated us up with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. I think you get the idea. But, yeah, I... Whatever Joel Osteen thinks that Christ has saved us from, it's minuscule compared to what Jesus has really saved us from. When you're positive, hopeful, full of praise, that's God's territory. The enemy can't touch you. He can't cross that line. That's why he... (laughs) Where does it say that? ...works overtime in our thought life. His goal is to get us down and discouraged. He knows when we're dry. Don't bring me down. We're giving him access. We're coming. Oh, man, I got to back that up. You've got to be kidding. Listen again. Our thought life. His goal is to get us down and discouraged. I'm pretty sure the goal of the devil is to drag us into hell. You know. You know, I just see the devil. I have a plan. I'm going to bring this person down into negativity. And once they are negative, I have them. That's ridiculous. He knows when we're dry, we're giving him access. We're coming. (laughs) Folks, you you better buy some lotion and keep keep a lot of water handy. You you need a lot of water because you don't want to get dry. Because as soon as things dry out, man, and you're starting to get dehydrated, you're giving the devil access. Save yourself. Onto his field. That's where he has the right to control and manipulate. And maybe you have a good reason to be dry. Life has thrown you some curves. You don't see anything good up ahead. That's when you have to dig down deep and say, no, I am not going to live discouraged dragging through the day, focused on what's wrong. I know God is on the throne. I know he's bigger than these problems. I know his plans for me are for good. So I'm going to live this day in faith, expecting his favor. You have to take control of your thoughts. Now notice, he literally believes that if you engage in positive thinking, that positive thinking will create positive results in your life. But no Bible text teaches this. Life. That's where the battle's taking place. And thoughts will tell you things like, you're a victim. Life hasn't treated you fairly. Thoughts, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you that. Got to beware. Oh, they're very dangerous things, those thoughts. Your spouse doesn't love you like he should. That company doesn't appreciate you. If you let those thoughts play long enough, they'll keep you from your destiny. Yeah, you better get those thoughts under control because you don't want to miss your destiny, do you? Paul said in the book of Acts, I think myself happy. Okay, I'm going to back this up. I know where this passage is, and I know what translation it's from. Let's let him kind of spin the thought out a little bit, and then we'll go back and clean this up. Here we go again. Paul said in the book of Acts, I think myself happy. You can think yourself out of a dry place. 
Yeah, that's not what Paul said. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, King James Version is where we're going to go to right now. Uh, Acts chapter 26. And um, and then we'll just compare it to the Greek and a good English translation, modern translation. Acts 26, 1. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Yeah, say that five times fast. I mean, I, we need like a Shakespearean actor to pull this off. But So there, there's the phrase, totally out of context, I think myself happy. Hege my, I think, ematan, uh, uh, this is myself, and then makurion, this is from the Greek word makurios, either blessed or fortunate, that's one way you can kind of think of makurios. Uh, when Jesus in the uh, Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, he uses the word makurios. So um, that's, okay, so if we were just to translate this into kind of modern English, um, you can say that Paul says, I think myself blessed. I think myself fortunate. That would be a legitimate translation. Let's check some modern translations. So this is the uh, ESV translation, English Standard Version. I consider myself fortunate. Mm -hmm. That works. Okay. And let's uh, let's try the old NIV 84, see what that one does with this. I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against the accusations of the Jews. Yeah, see, I, even the uh, NIV 84 is not bad here, and I think you get the idea. I consider myself fortunate in the ESV uh, that it is before you, O oh, Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. So when you put this, the whole sentence together, Paul is not saying, I'm in a dry place, and so I'm going to think myself happy, and voila, now he's no longer in a dry place and, and outside of the danger zone when it comes to be the attacks of the devil. No, he's just simply saying, I consider myself fortunate that I'm pleading my case before you today, King Agrippa. That's the point of the sentence. So uh, <clears throat> Joel Osteen has ripped another passage totally out of context. And we're not learning nothing about what God's word says at all. You got into discouragement by thinking about how wrong something was, thinking about who hurt you, thinking about how things aren't going to improve. You fought yourself into defeat. Now, what? Have you ever noticed that, like, sometimes, you know, really awful time seasons in your life, they're not the result of you engaging in stinking thinking. It's just life throws those kind of curveballs at us because we live under a cursed creation. Why? Because we're all sinners. Joel Osteen, oh, something bad's come your way. Well, it's because you weren't thinking good and happy thoughts. Turn it around and start thinking yourself into victory. What Thinking myself into victory. No biblical text teaches us to do that either. Apparently, I'm a deity and my, my positive thoughts create 
positive ripples throughout the universe and create amazing outcomes. And no, that's not, this is not a biblical teaching. This is like Christian science. God started in my life. He's going to finish. No good thing will he withhold because I walk uprightly. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now that little litany of biblical verses, uh, the sentences were all ripped out of context. And none of them teach this theology that he's teaching. What was meant for my harm? Lord, I want to thank you right now. You're turning to my advantage. And that's not even a biblical concept right there. Get your mind going in the right direction. Think yourself into joy. Think myself into joy. Think yourself into a good mood. Think yourself into a positive, faith-filled attitude. You cannot live on autopilot and just think whatever comes your way. If you do, negative thoughts will dominate. You have to be proactive. Don't wait for thoughts of faith and hope to come. Think them on purpose. If you'll fill your mind with the right thoughts, there won't be any room for the wrong thoughts. Yeah, he's just making up stuff now. The Bible don't teach none of this. It's, this is a totally different religion altogether. You feel the blahs, you need to get into an environment that's uplifting. Don't yeah, yeah, those blahs, man, you're in satanic territory, apparently, if you've got a bad case of the dry blahs. Come home from work and sit in a dark room and watch sad movies, listen to sad songs, and think sad thoughts, and eat sad foods, and hang around with sad people. Sad times five equals real sad. Oh, that's really bad, apparently. I, yeah, that's totally demonic right there. If anyone's sad, oh boy, yeah. Oh, they're really, yeah, they're really leading you down the path to hell, apparently. Open up the windows. Let some light in the room. Put on some inspiring music. Do I need a crucified and risen savior for this religion that he's spewing? Maybe, maybe go outside and take a walk. Exercise. Get your. That's that's not bad advice. I mean, exercise is an important thing. Yeah, and there's positive benefits to exercise. D but again, I just have to ask: Do I need a crucified and risen savior for this, or maybe just you know a, a good life coach, you know, a personal trainer or something? Endorphins kicking in. Yeah. God has put certain hormones in us. When we activate them, they give us a boost and make us more passionate. They help to take away the negativity. But it's easy to live a very sedentary lifestyle. But you can't override natural laws and expect to feel good. You need to exercise. You need proper sleep. You need to eat healthy. Yes, Mom. Thank you. I, I'm sure I do, yes. Practical things can keep us from being passionate and having the vision and energy that we should. When you're dry, it's important who you spend time with. You can't afford to hang around other dry people. <laughs> Need an app. You know, the Joel Osteen humidity, uh, you know, testing kit. Hang on a second here. Let's see. I'm going to test this out. It's, oh, 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 oh. I, I'm sorry. I, I know we've been friends for the last 20 years, but according to my uh, Joel Osteen humidity verification app, you're way too dry. Yeah, I, I fear that uh, your presence in my life can, can really, really mess things up. So uh, we're not going to be able to hang out anymore. Misery loves company. 
Find some friends that are happy, positive, energetic. You need people around you that brighten your day, that lift your spirits. People that get rid of all the negative people in your life if they have any negative opinions or negative thoughts or if they're just being sad and stuff. Dump them, dump them, because uh, they're they're doing the work of the devil. Like I said, none of this has anything whatsoever to do with biblical Christianity and what the Bible teaches. Joel Osteen, this is this this is a religion that he's preaching here, but a in Christianity, I don't, you know, more akin to the mind science cults and you know you know and self help guru kind of stuff. This is Stuart Smalley's religion. This is not the message of Scripture. That tells us that Christ has come to set us free from the dominion of darkness by bleeding and dying for our sins. Calls us to repent of our sins and to be forgiven in him. And he offers us eternal life as a gift. Can't earn it. It's a gift given by Christ, by grace through faith. So repent, believe, be forgiven, live, and bear fruit in keeping with repentance by fervently loving God. And serving and loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this is what Christ has called us to. But I don't hear any of that in Joel Osteen's preaching. And it's weird. Every time he seems to touch the Bible, what he says the Bible says ain't even close to what it actually says. That's the work of the devil. That's the work of a false teacher. Somebody to be avoided according to Scripture. So as you can hear and see from today's sampling of evangelical preaching. Um, yeah, the, 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 how does Scripture describe false teachers again? Oh, I know. They, he, the scripture describes them as waterless rain clouds. Yeah, false teachers say a lot of stuff, but they sure do say a whole lot of nothing when it comes to what Scripture really teaches and who Scripture really is about. Scripture is not about me or about you. It's about what God has done for us in Christ to rescue us from the dominion of darkness, save us from our sin and its consequences. And uh, Jesus is the one who has said that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, if you're going to make a disciple, disciples are learners, which means those who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ should be committed and dedicated to rightly understanding God's Word, believing what God's Word reveals as far as what we are to believe, confess, as well as how we are to conduct our lives in the things that we do, in fervent love towards God and in love towards neighbor. I think you get the point. All right. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.